Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. Yesterday we started looking at Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian leaders. We're in Acts chapter 20, Colin. And it really is a very heart-rending speech. He tells them that they won't see him again. It's very, very important because, as I explained yesterday, Paul gives us here some cardinal principles of leadership, of the qualities that are to be seen in the way in which leaders live themselves and in the way in which they care for the people that they are called to oversee. We didn't manage to get quite to the end of what Paul said. We'll pick it up in verse 33 of chapter 20 of Acts. I have never been jealous of those with money and fine possessions. So he's never motivated by money. Very, very important. As you well know, I work to meet the needs both of myself and my assistants. In every way I showed you by my example that we must work hard so that we are able to help those in need, never forgetting the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's one of the very few words of Jesus that, that are recorded outside of the gospel. But what an important principle. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he and the elders knelt and prayed together. As they parted, they embraced Paul and wept, for they were touched deeply by this statement that he would never see him again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. You see this not simply respect, but this tremendous love that the elders from Ephesus had for Paul. And, of course, I think that is true in the church, isn't it, that people really are given a love for the elders that they respect and uh, that they know are really living for their own welfare, for, for the welfare of the people, to, to really care for them, to teach them the word of God, to see them liberated in their lives from the things that have oppressed them, and to see them motivated to be used by God themselves in their own lives. So then Paul continues his journey. We don't have to go through all the details that is given, but it's it's great that they're there because it just shows what a real and accurate account this is of what was taking place. Now, we've seen that Paul was aware that um, suffering was awaiting him, imprisonment was awaiting him in Jerusalem, but he was still prepared to go there. And this prophet Agabus appears on the scene. Uh, let's see what uh, happens with him in chapter 21, verse 10, um, verse 11. Agabus came over to us, took hold of Paul's belt, and tied his own hands and feet with it, declaring, The Holy Spirit says, This is how the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and deliver him to the Gentile authorities. So this is what we call a prophetic action. Um, Prophetic actions can be very, very powerful because they're a visual aid uh, to go with the word that God speaks. So on hearing this, both we and the local people begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Luke is, of course, present at this time. Luke, who, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles. 
But Paul was adamant. Why weep like this, he asked. Are you trying to break my heart? I am prepared not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Because he would not be swayed by anything we said, we surrendered to the inevitable, saying, May the Lord's will be done. But that's the point. Even though he knew suffering and imprisonment awaited him, Paul knew that it was the will of God for him to go to Jerusalem. And of course, this was going to be God's way of getting him to Rome, where Paul had wanted to go for years. He'd been longing to visit the church in Rome. So Paul knows that he is in the will and the purpose of God and that he needs to go to Jerusalem. He had to stand firm against the other leaders, though, didn't he? Well, he had to stand firm against their love and concern. Um, you know, I can identify with this a little bit, uh, not quite obviously in the way that Paul could, but um, you can often be surrounded, when, especially when you're under pressure in ministry, by a lot of people that are concerned for you. And that's good, that's right, that's love. But at the same time, when you know that God is telling you to do something, you must not allow others to deter you from doing that when you're in leadership. Uh, when you're a, a member of the body, it's good if you uh, to check out what you're hearing with God, with those who have the responsibility for you. But of course, when you're in that leadership position yourself, and you don't necessarily, like Paul here, have anybody that he can submit what he's hearing to, uh, then he's got to be convinced of the revelation that God has given him. But of course, that is part of the apostolic anointing. So Paul was right. He was 100% right? Oh, yes. Yes. And I mean, you, we, we were looking the other day at, um, you know, the vision that he had come over to Macedonia to help us. You see, Paul could sometimes want um, to, to do what seemed the right natural thing to do next, but the Holy Spirit would not give him the witness. So obviously, apostolically, he was very, very sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. So he would treat this prophecy of Agabus as a confirmation to what he knew himself, that imprisonment and suffering awaited him in Jerusalem. But still, he knew the word of the Lord was for him to go to Jerusalem. So Agabus did not say that he was not to go. See, this is the important thing. Nobody was saying, Paul, you're not to go. The people responded, no, 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 no. If that's what's waiting for you, don't go. But, but you see, that is out of their care and concern. But nobody brought a word from God that said don't go. Agabus brought this word of God about the suffering, which confirmed what Paul already knew. But Agabus didn't say, God is telling you not to go. But do you think the Holy Spirit gave those other leaders who were godly men a witness in their spirit that actually it was right for Paul to go up to Jerusalem? I think they were simply speaking out of their love and care and concern for Paul, as any of us would if you had a word like that over somebody's life, who is somebody who you loved. So... <clears throat> Uh, you know, they were saying, look, if this is what is going to happen to you, don't go. But he's saying, but I've got to go because I know this is the will of God that I go to Jerusalem. And what I'm saying is the prophecy from Agabus did not say, do not go to Jerusalem because this is what is happening. It just said to them, well, this is what is going to happen to the one whose belt 
this is. And of course that prophecy was fulfilled. So they then prepare for the journey to Jerusalem and uh, they were accompanied by believers on the way. Uh, and um, when they arrive in Jerusalem, Paul first of all goes to visit James and all the elders of the church. James, of course, was the brother of Jesus or the half-brother of Jesus. And um, he was the leading elder of the church in Jerusalem. It was he that chaired the first council of Jerusalem that we read about in Acts 15. And we looked at, in some detail at that a few weeks ago. So having greeted them, Paul gave a detailed report of all that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So still, this was the heart of authority. This was where the leadership of the whole church still resided. We, we saw that Antioch had become the mission center to reach the Gentile nations, but still Jerusalem was, if you like, uh, the headquarters of the church. And so Paul gives an account to them. He, he, he lived under authority. He lived accountable to others. And that's very important that you are accountable uh, and you know you don't just become one of these mavericks that just does your own thing, irrespective of everybody else. So they gave God the glory for what they heard and then told of the many thousands of Jews who had become believers. So at this time, uh, the kingdom of God was spreading extensively, both among the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, and uh, James says, and all of them are truly obedient to the law of God, they said. But they have been told that you teach the Jews who live in Gentile lands that they do not have to keep the law of Moses, that they should not circumcise their children nor live by our customs. What shall we do? Your coming faces us with a dilemma. This is what we suggest. Now, of course, this is the same controversy that we've looked at before. Should the Jewish believers give up the law or still live by the law to be a witness to other Jews? But um, obviously what was resolved at the Council of Jerusalem was that the Gentiles do not have to keep the law of Moses. That was the decision that, that they made. They do not therefore need to be circumcised. So this is what we suggest. Four men in the church here have taken a vow. Go with these men to the temple, join with them in the purification ceremony, and pay for them to have their heads shaved. This will prove to everyone that there is no truth in the rumors about you and that you yourself live in obedience to the law. So, of course, Paul had been brought up in a Pharisee. He still kept the law, not in a legalistically bound way, but he still kept to the principles of the law, when he was with the Gentiles, he lived as the Gentiles. When he was with the Jews, he lived as, as the Jews. Paul saw that that, um, that was the principle by which God was calling him to live. Very important. God taught me, you know, when I began to travel, that I had to be one with the believers wherever I was, that I was not just to take my own church background into their situation but I was to be one with them where they were. Paul lived by that same principle. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 